Welcome to Daily Defining Moments. This is Pastor Allen, and I'm so glad you're with me. Our goal each day is to help you open your Bible and connect with Jesus. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We're reading through the New Testament portion of the one-year Bible in the New Living Translation. Today is October 11th, and our reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 3, Paul says this, God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So in the New Testament first century church, three things that characterized the church was forgiveness, justice, and sexual purity. These three issues really allowed all of culture to see there is something very different and really very appealing about these people. And here, Paul is addressing sexual purity. Now, here's an important question. Why does God care about your sex life? Well, remember, everything God does is motivated by his love for us. God's trying to bless us. God's trying to lead us into abundant life. And what God understands is that when we live sexually pure lives and sex is reserved for marriage, then sex becomes a tremendous blessing. But sex outside of the context of marriage typically leads to a lot of pain. I know from my own life, and maybe this is true for you, I can look back in my teenagers and young adult years and and see where I messed up in this area, and it wasn't good for me. It didn't bless me. It didn't help me. It hurt me, and it hurt a lot of people around me, and that's generally what sex does outside of the context of marriage. See, in God's heart and mind, sex is for oneness, Sex is when the two become one. There is a mingling of body, soul, spirit, mind. We come together. Sex creates this connection that in the context of marriage is great, but outside of the context of marriage becomes very painful and destruction because that union is then ripped apart. And often in our culture, people are being united and ripped apart, united and ripped apart, united, ripped apart over and over and over again. And we have this, our souls are just hurt and damaged and scarred. There's all this scarred tissue, right? It makes it really difficult when we actually get married then to unite to our spouse the way we hope to and the way God intends. So everything God tells us, just never forget this. Every time God tells you to do anything, It's motivated by his love. It's motivated by his desire to bless you. He's inviting us to live a holy life, which in our culture is not easy. I mean, we have to fight for our sexual purity. We have to really pay attention. And listen, it begins in our mind. I love in James chapter one, when he says, when desire is allowed to grow up, when it's fully developed, it gives birth 
to death. And I think one of the ideas there, James is talking about temptation, is that we have to learn to defeat temptation. We have to learn to defeat sin when it's small and young and immature. But if we allow it to grow in us, eventually it will defeat us. So when you think about sexual purity, the place to win the battle for sexual purity is in my mind and my thought life and with my eyes, what I look at. But if I wait, if I give myself the freedom to think sexually impure thoughts and to look at sexually impure things and then to flirt with some other woman and then I find myself alone with her and then I try in that moment to win, I'm going to lose. So the place to fight the battle for your sexual purity is in your thinking and with your eyes not allowing yourself to look. I love the the verse in Job that says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look upon a virgin. I've got to fight for faithfulness in my eyes. And if I do that, then I'm never in danger of getting in bed with the wrong person, right? So that's where we got to battle. We got to battle in our minds, being careful what we read, being careful what we look at, being careful what we allow to come into our heart and soul in order to live a pure life. And then watch what he says. Here's another reason why it's so important. In verse 9, he says, we don't need to write you about the importance of loving each other for God himself has taught you to love one another. I think there's a connection between these two ideas because sexual impurity typically is when somebody is using another person for their sexual pleasure. I'm trying to take something from you for my benefit. Whereas sex is supposed to be an act of love. Sex is supposed to be me giving something to my wife as an expression of love rather than taking something from her for my pleasure using her. So Paul follows up this section on sexual purity by talking about the importance of us loving one another. If we're loving each other, we're not using each other for our own sexual pleasure. And I think that's so important to understand. Verse 11, make it your goal to live a quiet life minding your own business, working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. I think it's so important as believers that people see our work ethic, our discipline. They see our desire to be honest, to have integrity, to do what is right. They see our uh, a willingness to be a good team player, to be a part of the company's culture, and to do everything that we can as employees to help move the company forward. All of those things are a powerful witness. Just remember, you spend 40 to 45 hours probably a week at work. So what you do at work communicates to everybody around you a lot about your spiritual maturity and your character. And Paul understands that. Watch this, verse 13. Now, believers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So we will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. I love that. We do not mourn as unbelievers who have no hope. See, if you're not a believer and somebody dies, that's the end of the story. 
And so you mourn, and your mourning is a hopeless mourning. You'll never see them again. The story's over, right? This life is all there is. But for us as believers, we think this life is just a blip on the radar. It's just a little tiny moment. We're going to live for all eternity. And because of our faith in Christ, just as he rose from the dead, when we die, we pass from death to life. We go to be with the Lord. We are in paradise. And when Jesus returns, we will return with him. So we still mourn when a family member or a friend, somebody that we love and care about, passes away because temporarily we're separated from them. But we don't mourn like people without hope because we will see them again. Now watch what he says next. I love this. He says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be called up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. I love that, right? This is where we get the idea of the, of the rapture of the church. The day is coming. We're going to hear the shout. We're going to hear the trumpet. And we're going to be caught up together with the Lord. And hopefully, and I believe this is true, that's the next thing that God's going to do in redemptive history is the rapture of the church. There are more than one, I guess, theological position on the the rapture and end times. Some people believe in a pre-trib rapture. That's what I believe in. I hope Jesus calls the church out of the earth before all the trumpet and bold judgments on the earth, which are just just devastating. I think God's going to take us out before that. But there are people that believe in a mid-trib that halfway through the tribulation, God takes the church out. And some that believe that the Lord returns after the tribulation. The church is not really raptured that way. But either way, here's what we know for certain. Jesus will return and we will live forever. He will wipe away every tear and all of our suffering will be gone and we're going to live in paradise forever with the Lord. In John 14, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me for in my father's house, there are many mansions. And if I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is coming back. Man, I hope it is today. So you say, when is it? Watch what he says next. Chapter five, verse one, now concerning how and when all these things will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. In other words, we don't know exactly when this is going to happen. But the truth is, it'll be a surprise. It'll catch us all off guard. It could happen at any moment. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this encouraging word. God, I pray that we would live sexually pure lives. God, I pray that we'd live with the conviction 
that our sexual purity is for our benefit and blessing, that you're not just trying to control our bodies, that you're trying to bless us because you are a good father and you know what is good for us. So God, help us to to live sexually pure lives. Help us to, to fight the battle in our mind and with our eyes when it's winnable. God, and not put ourselves in vulnerable positions. God, help us to love one another, not take advantage, not to use each other, but to love one another. God, I pray that we would work in such a way. Most of us are working full time and we're in the workforce for most of our lives. And God, I pray that my work would be a testimony of the reality of my faith, that people see my hard work, my integrity, my honesty, my care for people. God, that we would be a powerful witness in the workplace. God, we thank you that we do not mourn like those who have no hope, that God, the people that we know and love who died in Jesus are with you and alive and well today, and we will see them again. And God, we can't wait to hear the trumpet sound and for you to call us home. Lord, we are ready. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And between now and then, God, help us to live lives of faithfulness as if your return could be today to live in a way that honors and blesses you and is a blessing to all people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for being with me today. I hope that encourages you. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. If Jesus doesn't return, We'll see you again tomorrow.